When I was about nine years old, I was laying in bed, felt like the middle of the night. I suspect it was um, early morning. And I started hearing a few noises that sounded like they were coming from the bathroom in the house we were staying at. And then I heard a little bit of talking, some voices. They weren't voices from anyone in our house. And I thought, somebody is robbing things from our bathroom cupboards. I was nine. (laughs) And I was a bit freaked out at this idea. And I laid in bed and laid in bed and I didn't go back to sleep for what felt like hours and hours. And the noises went away and the voices went away. And finally, mum and dad got up or someone got up and there was some more civilization. I was waiting for a commotion for this, whatever's happening in the bathroom to, to come out. And, and nothing happened. And I went to mum and dad and I said, um, in the night there was, there was someone in our bathroom There was definitely someone, I heard heard things moving around and and I heard voices and and they said, well, the window was open so there might have been a breeze that knocked things around. I said, no, no, there were voices too. They said, well, the next door neighbour does get up early in the morning to go to work so they maybe maybe just heard them them talking as they were preparing to get to work. But as a nine-year-old, the night time in that bathroom didn't quite go together anymore. I just wasn't sure. I'd have to make sure it was lit. I'd have to make sure the light was on and it was okay before I walked in there because I'd had this experience. I'd had this, I'd had, I'd seen some, I'd heard some things that I I kind of couldn't quite add up and and the advice of my parents was very rational now I think about it, Um, but it didn't quite match with the emotions and the things that I was feeling inside and it took me a while and then I forgot about it after a while and I moved on. When I was about 20, um, Simon and I had a bachelor pad in, uh, in Clayton and I'd, we'd taken, the, or um, Tanya and I and some others had taken the youth out to Youth Alive and I'd come back from Youth Alive, would have been half past 12 at night, um, opened the front door and my first thought was, gee, Simon had to leave in a rush, um, house doesn't look very orderly, um, but it wasn't Simon. Um, the place had been burgled. All our cool music equipment and everything that we had, we kind of, in one way, we advertised that we had cool music equipment because we weren't that quiet with it. But, um, but everything that we kind of loved in that space had been taken. And for years after that, every time I'd go to the front door of that house and the house that Tanya and I moved into when we first got married, I'd open the front door and go is this going to be the day? It's like, oh, everything's where it's meant to be. So that unit I'd walked into hundreds of times. And then all of a sudden, on one night, I hadn't experienced something, a once-off event, that I've never experienced since. But it meant for years after that, I forgot about the hundreds of times I walked in the door and all I could remember was that one night. And it's amazing how what you, what you see, what, what you experience, flavours how you think. And it's amazing how just the little things as a kid, that the way I chose to take those things that, well, in that case it was hearing, it wasn't seeing, but whether it's hearing or seeing, it's those, how you take that stuff and you process it in your mind 
um, flavours how you respond. And, and there was, in both situations, there was fear that was built up because of how I saw those two situations. So to see is obviously with our physical eyes, but we use the word to see in a different way as well. It's to discern or deduce after reflection or from information to understand. So in those, both those cases, I saw. I saw some things or, or I heard some things. And then internally in my mind, I saw a picture. In the first time, I saw a picture of a thief stealing deodorant, basically. I don't know what else they would have stolen from our bathroom. Um, there wasn't any jewellery in there or anything. So. And in the second case, every time I opened the door, I, the information, I, my understanding was there was the potential to be robbed. There was potential to be burgled. Actually, funny side story, completely unrelated. When I rang up the police and told them, I said we'd been robbed. And apparently, you're not robbed if you're not there. You're burgled if you're not there. And so this policeman was going, well, are they still there? It's like, no, of course they're not still there, um, which was a fair question to ask. But anyway, I had to clarify. He said, oh, no, no, you haven't been robbed. You've been burgled. I mean, okay, cool. So <laughs> there you go. Just a bit of advice for you. Um, um, that's right. No, that's, no, I don't, don't want to wish it on you. But, uh, but yes, yeah, so we, we actually, to see is, is actually how we process the information that comes in. And so here's an example of, of what you, you might see. This is Daniel at uh, Victor Harbour uh, last year. And this is Daniel with a similar sized rock at Victor Harbour. Um, the information is the same information, but the way you see the pictures is actually quite different. Uh, here's, here's another one that you may have seen recently. Anyone who's not on social media would have no idea what this is, and it took me a long time. People were talking about it. I had no idea what they were talking about. But apparently, I'm told, I can only see one thing here. Apparently, some people look at this picture and they see a white and gold dress. And other people look at this picture and see a black and blue dress. Okay, now, can I just do an experiment in here? I can only see a white and gold dress. Does anybody see a black and blue dress? Wow. I'm amazed. It is actually a black and blue dress. That's the, this, is, this is somebody's uh, attempt to show the two, what, what people are seeing. So the two ones aren't actually real. They're just an attempt to show what people see. So, wow, that's awesome. I couldn't believe, because I can only see white and gold. I couldn't possibly imagine that someone sees something else. So it's at least 50-50, if not more. So... <laughs> you see black and blue. <laughs> wow, okay. That's amazing. So there you go. My, my point is that, that the information that's in front of you is actually what you see internally is not necessarily what you see externally. What, what your eyes are receiving is sometimes different. Now, of course, I'm all grown up now. I'm, I'm different to when I was 20 and different to when I was nine. And... Um, and of course, I always see things as they really are now. Um, I take the information in, I discern it, and, uh, and I deduce and understand everything perfectly well. I'll give you an example um, of that not being the case. On Friday, um, we had a presentation. We were, we were, I was making a prototype app, and, uh, 
and I'd spent all week on it. I'd stayed up late working on it Thursday night for this presentation. It wasn't a final presentation. It was just a first initial, this is where we're at. And half an hour before the presentation, I decided to take it from my computer and put it on the iPad so that we could present it in the, in the presentation. Didn't work. Disastrously didn't work. Um, everything in the simulator, I've done this hundreds of times. Um, not with this particular bit of code, but I've done this hundreds of times. And the simulator and the iPad do exactly the same thing every time, except on Friday. So myself and our senior programmer spent half an hour scrambling to try and first fix the problem, and second, when the problem wasn't going to be fixed, to try and get the simulator on the presentation computer so that we could show it in simulation mode at least. Because I'd busted my guts all week. and I wanted to show them where we were at. I'd done a good job. And by this stage, I was frustrated. I was irritated. I wasn't happy at all. The information in front of me was not looking good. What my eyes and ears were hearing wasn't good. And I was fed up and I was annoyed. And what made it worse is the client was asking some silly questions. But, but in amongst it, amazing little thing happened. We got there and my boss said, look, I'll distract him for a few minutes while you guys get your act together, because um, he was on time. And they went out and the F-18s flew over our office right at that time. And they put on a nice show for this guy. We've got a little balcony. Just enough time for us to finish getting our act together, prepping it all, putting it all on the, sh on the display and, and getting it ready. And sure enough, the F-18s finished doing their 10-minute act at the, at the Grand Prix and we went, cool, we're ready to present now. And the pre presentation went fine, but I didn't care about those F-18s. I didn't care about a good presentation. I was irritated with the situation. It wasn't how it was meant to be. And I saw a gold and white dress when it wasn't a gold and white dress, it was a black and blue dress. So unfortunately, I don't always discern and understand what's coming into me as much as I'd like to think I do. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18 says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. You can see the, the weird thing he's done there with seeing and seeing. You can't see things that you can't see. Um, but he's talking about you can't see with your physical eyes, but you can see as in understand and discern. Yeah? So what is he talking about, these present troubles that are small and won't last very long? What, he actually explained them just, just earlier in this passage. These are the small troubles he's talking about. We ourselves are like fragile clay jars in verse 7. Verse 8 says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, 
We are perplexed. We are hunted down. We get knocked down. We live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. We live in the face of death. Small troubles that won't last very long. How can he say that when in the physical he sees this? The other half of each of those verses are that we are ourselves like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. That's what he sees. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. We live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. We live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. You can look at their picture and what he describes as small troubles that won't last very long, to me sound pretty massive. But what Paul's done is seeing more than the physical. He's seeing the context on which those physical things have happened. And we know from Paul's journey that he experienced all those things. Those were real dangers to him. They weren't something that he just told tall stories about. We know he experienced those troubles. And yet in amongst that, he saw something very different. I've just got to do this for Tanya's sake. No, that's not true. Tanya always says you've got to look at the verse before because it starts, that is why we never give up. What? What? We don't know why. But if we look at the verse before, this is his motive. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Sometimes we can, uh, we can have this weird idea that our aspiration, our goal is for everything to be in order and perfect and, and happy and content and, and in balance and harmony. And that's God's agenda too. However, unfortunately, we get distracted by that and don't see, spiritually see, what God is doing when things aren't together. And Paul reminds us in this passage that what you see and what you see are very different. What you see with your eyes and what you discern and understand are very different. Today, I want to share four words with you that I think the Lord's laid on my heart. They're four words that you have very little control over, if at all. You can't manipulate them. You can't fabricate them. You can't will them into being. They are what they are. The question isn't whether they exist or not. It's whether we see them. The first of these words is faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's trusting God. It's taking him at his word. We often feel like we have to have the answer for everything. We have to have it all together. 
We have to have it solved. We have to know what God wants us to do and do it. We can't doubt. We can't question. Have it all together. There's no room for faith in that. Because if you've got it all together, there's nothing God has to add to it, does he? So in actual fact, it's assumed that you don't have it together to have faith. There's a song that we sing that, um, called I Breathe You In God. And there's a line in it that was a real revelation to me. It, was, it says, when I don't understand, I choose you, God. And up until that point, I'd served, I'd ministered, I'd, you know, did what I felt God called me to do, but I did it when I understood it, when I was in control, when I could see with my physical eyes that the result was going to be what I thought, thought it was going to be. And when I read that, when I, when I sang those words for the first time, and I'm a big believer of not singing words I don't agree with, um, I sing what I believe. So uh, we've talked about this before, about songs that have dancing in them. I don't feel like dancing, so I'm not going to sing I feel like dancing. Um, um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> John cornered me on that one day. <laughs> anyway, um, and, um, and so when I got to this line, I went, oh, hang on. I don't think I can sing this line. When I don't understand, I choose you. I'm going to have to think about this a bit more. I'm going to have to understand this. <laughs> yeah, my, the way I was thinking was I've got to process this and understand it. And, and it struck me, the truth of that. It's because I don't have it together that I choose God. And faith is that place, that place of I can see God's given me evidence of who he is, but I don't know what's happening in the future. I don't know what he's going to do tomorrow. Um, I don't know if anyone's read um, The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe or any of the Narnia series, um, but C.S. Lewis has a fantastic way of describing Aslan, the Jesus character in the story. And I just want to read to you what Mr. Beaver for those who, who don't know, um, it's a great, great book. We're reading it with our kids at the moment, actually. Um, Mr. Beaver says to the children who are new to, to Narnia and haven't experienced this Aslan character, who's a lion. Um, Mr. Beaver says, Aslan doesn't like being tied down. And of course, he has other countries to attend to. It's quite all right. He'll often drop in. Only you mustn't press him. He's wild, you know. He's not a tame lion. And I think sometimes we try to put God in a box and contain him and understand him. And, but that picture of Aslan being wild, God is wild. God is not tamed. God is not manipulated by our, our thoughts or our actions. And riding with him is a wild ride. You don't, you don't know where he's going to turn. You don't know which way it's going to go or how it's going to end up. And it's going to be scary putting your trust in God and not in your own understanding. But it's a ride that I know is a good ride. And that's where faith comes in. I hold on tight. I say, God, let's go for this ride. Let's do this. I trust you. That's faith. The second word is very closely linked to faith and it's hope. 
Hope is not wishful thinking. Because while faith is trusting God, God's given us a pretty good indication of his character and his heart and his agenda. So you don't have to hope whether or not God loves you. You, you can know that now. You don't have to hope that one day he'll love you enough to forgive you. You can know that now. That's not what hope is. It's actually a, conf- uh, it's a, it's a, it's a confident expectation. Psalm 39.7 says, But now, Lord... What I do, what I do, I look for. My, what, sorry. What do I look for? My hope is in you. What is my focus? Where is my compass going? What is my direction? My hope is in you. Romans 8.25 says, But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And that's hope. God's painted a picture of what life with him looks like, of what eternity looks like, of of a number of things that we can trust, we can hope. And this faith and hope is often used together because when you trust God, you can live in anticipation of what he's got coming. You don't know what's happening. It's a wild journey, but you can know that it's a good journey. The third word is a little bit out of left field. And at first I went, God, what's, how does this fit in? But it does. It's the word beauty. Beauty is something that's pleasing, desirable, or appealing to the senses or mind. And I thought, how does that fit in this picture? And it's quite simple. In Genesis 1.31, it says, Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. Everything God made is beautiful. So wherever you are, there is beauty. Sometimes you might not feel like it, but it's there. Whether you believe it or not, there is beauty in the room when you're in the room. And you know that really annoying person that irritates you? When they're in the room, there's beauty as well. Psalm 139.14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. It's really funny how... um, as I'm preparing and, and trying to sense what God's saying and putting words into these thoughts that, that God's put in my mind and making it work, how he teaches me things. So yesterday I'm going, how do I describe beauty, God? How do I, everyone's experienced it and everyone, everyone kind of knows what I'm saying, but I want to put it into words somehow. But at the time I'm thinking this, I had five kids, our two and three others, in the next room building a cubby. And of course, when you're building a cubby, it's, it, makes, it makes it much easier for people to understand if you shout at them. So as they're working out how to build this cubby and how it was going to all operate and, and how their gang was going to work together, they're shouting at each other. They weren't arguing. They were just very happily shouting at each other. And when there's five people shouting at each other in the next room, it's actually really hard to concentrate. <laughs> and I'm there and I'm going, this is really irritating. 
And, and then I realized the picture was right in front of me. With my ears, I was hearing something that was irritating me. But right next door to me was beauty. Was a, be- a bunch of kids in unity creating, exploring, adventuring, enjoying. Beauty was in the room next door to me. And yet I was sitting at my desk trying to find beauty. And it was actually there the whole time. The fourth word is joy. Thankfulness, contentment, hope, calm delight, gladness, cheerfulness. Joy is very different to fun or happiness because it's not superficial or fleeting. It doesn't go up and down. It's quite deep and enduring. Philippians 4.4 says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Now, if my circumstances are going up and down, but I'm still meant to always be joyful, then it can't be based on my circumstances. Colossians 1.1 says, We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. After saying be filled with joy and always thanking the Father, he's talking about endurance and patience. Joy is actually in the endurance and patience. They're they're together. They're part of the same picture. And the significance of these four words, as I mentioned earlier, is that they are always there. They are always, always there. The question is whether or not we see them. So they're actually four very encouraging words. They're four words that pick you up, that remind you when the circumstances, the things around you that Paul describes as small troubles that will only last for a little while, those things that you're wrestling with, that are a thorn in your side, that are a pain in the backside, whatever it is, these four things are actually in that place. They are there. The question is whether or not we see them. I'm just going to share with you a, a story. It, and it goes for a little while. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. See, uh, this, is, this is the debate. It's not spelt Abednego. Who says Abednego? Whose Sunday school teacher taught them a Bendigo? I actually had to look it up last night because I couldn't resist. It's, it's spelled Abednego. But anyway, side issue. Just, <laughs> just have a listen. Just let, let these words um, flow over you. So what's hap- oh, oh, it, it'll make sense. I'm, I'm coming in halfway through the story. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. 
But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my God or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made. When you hear the sound of the musical instruments, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your, your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes and other garments. And because... Uh, and because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the, th the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisers, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Those were left. Look, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors and advisors crowned crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head was singed and their clothes was not scorched. They did not even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people... Whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Now, it's an amazing testimony of what God did. But there's actually a testimony before that. Their response to Nebuchadnezzar was that the God whom we serve is able to save us. That's faith. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. That's their hope. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. 
It's an amazing, they don't know what's going to happen next. All around them, you've got a, a guy whose face is distorted with rage, who set a fire seven times hotter, whose the people are dying around you as you're being put into the fire. Things are not looking good. The physical, what they saw with their eyes, was not looking good. But they saw, they saw a different picture. And you say, where's the beauty or, or, or joy in this story? They did the first two and God provided the second two. The beauty and the joy was in the, in the worship and the, and the change of heart of Nebuchadnezzar, of the declaration of this guy, this guy who had set up his own idols, who'd set up his own, he'd made himself God. In his mind, he was God. And yet, what a beautiful picture of redemption. Those four things were there. Whether Nebuchadnezzar saw it or not, and we can see that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego saw it. Faith, hope, beauty and joy, they're always there. The problem is when you don't see them, we often replace them with something else. Faith often gets replaced with fear. Hope with despair. Beauty with failure and joy with misery. Sometimes I want to hold on to these things. Sometimes I cling to them because of the injustice or the way I was treated or, or, or how that person's annoying me or whatever the situation is. I, I want to hold on to it. But that puts me back in a place of bondage. That's not the freedom. That's not the life that was intended for us. You see, we've been doing a series called Thrive. Not just surviving, but thriving in life. And the problem is that with fear and despair and failure and misery... We shut down. There's no hope. There's no joy. There's no sense of beauty. There's, there's, um, there's a bunch of things that you look in the picture of the way God's created things that, for example, when we did um, prenatal casts many years ago, we were told that the female body will actually not give birth if there's fear if there's a sense that the environment is not safe. The body actually naturally protects the newborn and will actually hold off giving birth until it's a safer environment. So the, the, the reason for that was to give your wife a, a nice space that she doesn't, you know, she's not afraid or, or whatever the situation might be in that sense. And, and people who do lots of gardening will tell you that plants under stress don't produce flowers or fruit like plants that feel like they're in an environment that's safe. Now, our circumstances may or may not change. And that's what I'm trying to say this morning. I'm not trying to say that all of a sudden hardship's going to disappear. All of a sudden our bodies are going to um, miraculously become the perfect creation. That can happen. God can do those things. However, there, there is a sense that through the endurance through the suffering, through the perseverance, there is life. 
John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Fullness of life is attached to these things. They are there in every situation. Every time, every case, those things are there. The question is not a burden, a heavy one to say, you've got to discover, you've got to create, you've got to, you've got to work harder, you've got to make these things happen. You don't have to make anything happen. That's the encouragement in these words. They are already there. They are already, you don't have to work harder. You don't have to strive. You don't have to pick it up and say, this is another burden I've got to carry because I don't see joy. I I, I don't have joy in my life. I've got to work harder to create joy. I've got to work harder to to be beautiful. I'm not a very beautiful person. There's things in my life that, that are ugly. There's ways I behave that are ugly. It's like, no, it's not about working harder. The beauty is already there. You are beautiful. The faith is already there. The hope is already there. The joy is there. Some of you may have been maybe following Andrew Chan's journey, and I don't, what's the other guy's name? Superman? Yeah. Um, and and they've been charged um, for drug trafficking and sentenced to life, to death, not life, sentenced to death. And this is what Andrew said after his sentencing hearing. So he's just heard that he's about to be killed. And this is how he responded. When I got back to my cell, I said, God, I asked you to set me free, not kill me. God spoke to me and said, Andrew, I have set you free from the inside out. I have given you life. From that moment on, I haven't stopped worshipping him. I had never sung before, never led worship until Jesus set me free. You look at what he sees in the physical. Did, did God take away him being in prison? Did God miraculously um, take the sentencing away? He can still do that. That's not out of the possibility. But he didn't yet. However, in that circumstance, he had life. He had abundant life in prison in a foreign country. I have given you life. And in this picture, you can see faith, hope, beauty, and joy. God may or may not change the circumstances, but he will always give abundant life. And that, that, those words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego, Remind me, remind me of times when I want things to change. And yet I still come back to that point of saying it doesn't matter whether they change or not, I will still worship you, God. I will still trust you. I will still hope for what you have planned for me. I will still have joy in my salvation, have joy in the fact that I know the living God. Those things are eternal. I will still see the beauty in this hardship, because you created this space. You created me, you created us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we just thank you so much for who you are.
Lord, if there was no faith, we wouldn't be here. Lord, we'd, we'd have nothing to hope for. We'd have nothing of substance to, to have joy in. Lord, everything beautiful, everything truly beautiful is because of your creation. Lord, we acknowledge that these things exist because you created them. You created them for us. You gave them to us. They're a gift. A gift that's part of our inheritance and a gift that's part of our relationship with you. And Lord, we're sorry for the times that we've looked at our circumstances and despaired and said these things are too big, too hard. Lord, but that's, you, you knew that already. That wasn't a surprise to you. And so you gave us faith that we could trust you in those times. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in each and every one of our lives. Lord, I thank you for the beautiful people in this room. Lord, I pray that you would continue to open our eyes. Help us see, Father. Help us see things the way you see them. Help us see the things the way Paul described them, Lord God. The small troubles that are incomparable to the amazing, abundant life that is in you. Lord, we don't want to forget our troubles, but we want to put them into perspective. We want you in our perspective, Father. Lord, we ask your spirit to continue to move and to work and to do what you do best. Lord, we trust you. We cling to you and we say, take us on a wild journey. Lord, our hope is in you. Our joy is in you. Thank you, Father.